0: My sister came home from uni, wanted to be involved in the family business, didn't really want to milk cows, uh, and came up with my parents with this business plan of building a factory on our farm and bottling our own milk, um, which is how we got the Little Big Dairy Company. Um, And yeah, the name for that sort of came from in our family and sort of from grandparents and stuff is, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves.
1: Well, good I? Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. We've got lots of C's going on in today's episode. We've got Campbell Chesworth, Cows, Community and Conservation and I think you're in for a cracker. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the Wathaurong and Miradjuri people and extend my respects to any Indigenous or Torres Strait Islander people who are listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Welcome back to another week and I have successfully made it back to the mainland from beautiful Tasmania. It was absolutely unreal. If you haven't been down there, Go check it out. Campbell Chesworth is part of his family's business, Little Big Dairy. If you haven't seen them or seen their trucks, just go and give a little Google search and plenty of things will pop up. On their website, I love how they've got the whole story. You see everything from the kids in the background, a little bit about the business, how it all started. Check it out. Otherwise, head over to our socials and give it a whirl. But they're dairy farmers and milk producers that take their milk straight from the farm to market. Home for them is out near Dabo on the banks of the Macquarie River. And hopefully things aren't getting too wet out there. This episode, I reckon, will be really relatable to many of our listeners. Although Campbell grew up on his family farm, it wasn't necessarily where he always saw himself. In fact, life took him to the big smoke, for uni. Then on to Malawi, a small landlocked country in Africa. And upon returning to Australia, he set about studying urban planning. It was this dream, through studying urban planning, was to work on major infrastructure projects about how places should be built and developed, and how it should be a really considered approach. You're probably wondering, how on earth has he gone back to the family farm? It's a fascinating business. His journey is absolutely unreal. I'm really excited to keep an eye on where they're heading.
2: Kevin, well, I'm... I'm keen to jump in and start talking about your involvement in ag. You're obviously part of the family dairy business now, and you've you've spent a bit of time away and have come back into the business. But I'm keen, this interest in agriculture, was it something that you've always had as a little fella? Like, what are your early memories around agriculture?
0: Obviously, growing up on the family farm and with family all around on farms, it's was a pretty good way to grow up I think everyone who grows up on a farm would probably agree with that yeah we were always pretty heavily involved Dairy's pretty you know it's 24 7 365 so there's always something to do and you know whether we were feeding calves or helping out in the dairy from earliest memories like that's sort of what I've got so it was yeah not much to complain about really in that sort of terms and yeah getting to understand and appreciate what's going on and understand how things happen and work I was only chatting to
2: someone yesterday about like dairy farmers and it's one of those jobs where you can't just switch the switch off for a few (laughs) days. It's every day, twice a day, you're turning up. Did you grow up wanting to be a dairy farmer and be involved in the farm?
0: Uh, As a teenager, I went to school in Sydney. So I think seeing that side of things and being in the city and, you know, all the new bright lights and things that you'd never really experienced before, I sort of got a bit distracted I think from farming and from ag and went away from that. So yeah, probably when I finished school and started uni and whatnot, I didn't really probably want to be boots on the ground involved in ag. And so what, what like career
2: path did you go down? Like straight out of school? Was it, were you pretty keen to stay in and around the city in and around Sydney?
0: Yeah. So I stayed in Sydney and went to uni and, um, sort of had a bit of an interest in politics. Um, so In my early years of uni, had the, um, you know, did a few internships with our local members in Sydney and then down in Canberra and thought that that would be an interesting sort of ag-aligned thing to do. Very interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want I don't want that to come across like I was a young lib at Sydney Uni hanging out pamphlets or something, but because <laughs> I but I definitely that yeah, was only I part was, of it. In, <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. So, but I I pretty quickly got disenfranchised from that, um, and sort of Mark Colton, who's our local federal member, sort of said to me, you know, you you probably need to not. Be doing this right now. Go off and do something else, and come back when you understand the world a bit better.
2: I wanna, I wanna follow on that. So, why were you interested in politics? Like, was there a certain impact or thing that you thought I actually want to get involved to try and change this?
0: Yeah, I think growing up, we often had, you know, our dinner table conversations often led back to politics. Um, whether that be, which was mainly around, you know, policy that affected ag water policy drought policy live export whatever it could be we would talk about and and I still have the perception that there's not enough people who understand re- the real world so to speak or the real world outside of sort of the eastern seaboard um, making decisions that affect what's happening on the ground which probably, probably as I've gotten older and I think there's a bit more of a push around that or I've got a better understanding that you know there are some pretty good people in that policy space, but. Yeah, as a bit of a tyke, watching Four Corners or the Seven Thirty Report, and sort of being like, "Oh, I'm smarter than those people. Like, I get it more than them." Yeah. Well, I
2: think that's a huge part of it, and the challenge is, isn't it? Where, like, there's lots of people with good intentions that want to get involved, but then something happens, and or or it's the behaviours of a few in that kind of political world and you just think oh my god why would anyone do it like you're just going to be hitting your head about against a wall but in terms of mark's advice go and get a little bit worldly and a little bit of experience you actually took off to malawi so you you took on his advice and took off
0: (laughs) yeah yeah which was um which was amazing to be able to get over there and sort of finish uni and got out of australia and my first time traveling on my own and yeah really cool part of the world with some yeah, amazing people and amazing experience. So yeah, it was really good.
2: Whereabouts is Malawi?
0: Uh, so it's this tiny little country um, in sort of southeastern Africa. Um, it's landlocked by South Africa and Zimbabwe and Mozambique and stuff. So yeah, it was really cool.
2: So how how did you end up there? An aspiring politician <laughs> goes off to get some worldly experience and just lands in the middle of
3: Africa. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I was still aspiring at that point, but uh, yeah, ended up over there. I think I, I definitely didn't want to go and get a job. So I, um, this was sort of through a, a program that I'd seen at uni, and so finished up and applied and got into it, and was over there for a little while, um, working. Yeah, yeah, in Malawi doing sort of working on the ag side of things, looking at supply chain and, um, you know, going out and working with subsistence farmers and looking at the way that they farmed. And one of the main things we were looking at was we set up a, a sort of test plot to, you know, introduce something that wasn't maize into the the area and, yeah, and then looked at how that was, how those subsistence farmers and were getting produce to market. And in Malawi, it's such a tiny country and it's pretty impoverished. There were in the local markets a lot of the fresh fruit and veg comes up from South Africa. Um so it was sort of trying to understand and change that, I guess.
2: What did like what did that cultural experience kind of teach you about ag and and I guess just humanity kind of more broadly?
0: We're very lucky in Australia. Um, I guess from the ag part of that question is you know working out in these super remote areas with subsistence farmers that you know they're totally happy and content with life and you know they're farming just to eat what they farm and maybe sell the little bit extra that they have to a neighbor or the local market and look I get yeah, looking at that as impoverished but I don't know we work so hard over over here to be as efficient as possible and you know produce, as much as possible for the, as the smallest amount of input, which is a much bigger conversation about capitalism. But Mm. yeah, it was, it was definitely really, it was interesting. Um, And I think also there was a bit of being over there, looking at that space, I guess on reflection of there, a little bit of guilt of being like trying to teach these people or tell these people that they should be doing more and better um, yeah, on reflection in years past, that's sort of something that I don't know if I regret it, but it's something I'm aware of.
2: With that too, it probably comes from just like an outsider's perspective as well, doesn't it? Like in terms of yeah. they're inherently teaching you things through an understanding of their perspective and probably conversely too, they think, yeah. wow, like Campbell yeah. comes at it with, in this way of thinking that potentially we haven't even thought about before because we are just content and getting on with what we do.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good point.
2: Maybe. It's um <laughs> it's funny cuz like a huge influence of humans of ag has been um I went to South Africa so similar thing Africa met this bloke who's driving a cab and he was a, well his his life ambition was to be a subsistence farmer and at, wow. at that point it was April of 2019 and I'd just left um a, a startup that I'd been involved in for a bit and kind of was just floating and I'd had this idea around how do we like talk about agriculture and connect consumers and blah, 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 like bring ag into the conversation. And this bloke's point was just like far out. Like it was all about perspective because in Australia we were debating, I'll say it was like alternative proteins and that the red meat industry is going to be under pressure. And even now like the conversation's still going on. We're seeing it now with, um, in your field, cell-based dairy and dairy cows and, and whatnot. And it's like you actually <laughs> shift your perspective a little bit And hear from someone else who's not in our neck of the woods and you're like, okay, wow, like the ambitions and the role of agriculture, there's so many similarities of what people are trying to achieve through their involvement in agriculture, but it just differs based off the culture that you're living in. Yeah, definitely. But agriculture is a common thread across every culture that you can see fundamentally important.
0: Yeah, definitely. Which is why sometimes I think we have a... Farmers and people from from rural Australia have a little bit of a superiority complex because they, or at least I do, that you know, no, no, nothing else that's happening here. You know, it all comes back to ag, in Australia being built on the back of the sheep and all that sort of thing. It's yeah, without ag, there there isn't much of a society to speak of. So it's fascinating. I
2: want to find out your early career. You're headed down. You're involved in ag. You're doing what sounds like really cool and meaningful work in Malawi, but it wasn't where you wanted to be long-term.
0: Yeah, I just didn't didn't really find anything that made me super excited. I wasn't really ready to leave the city, I don't think, when I got back from overseas. So, yeah, decided not to. And I yeah went down this path of doing my master's in urban planning down in Melbourne. And I credit that to my upbringing though, of the way that things work and move and having really considered approaches to the way that the world should be developed or towns are built or whatever it is, you know, it comes back to that, trying to make things as good as possible with what you have. And yeah, definitely what I saw in Malawi and their infrastructure or lack thereof was, yeah, that, you know, infrastructure and the way that you plan for and build it can have such a massive impact on every aspect of society and every community. So that's what I ended up doing for a couple of years. I
2: think what's cool
0: with you, Cam, was you've got this
2: kind of curiosity and it's been shaped from, I guess, your life experiences, and then you kind of start to bring in these really worldly kind of professions and angles into it. So was there an area that you had in mind where you could impact
0: Yeah, so I guess there's probably two answers to that. I wanted to be involved in like big mega infrastructure projects um, and which is something I got to be involved on Sydney Metro um, through work, which was awesome. From that, I definitely had the intention or wanted to and still might, um, you know, try and take some of those learnings over to developing countries. Um, I'd love to get back to Africa at some point because I think, yeah, as I, as I said, if you ha- there's some really good solutions out there to the challenges that they're facing the world.
2: Like Sydney Metro, that would be fascinating. Did, did you ever think that you're going to see that project the whole way through? I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it's obviously such a massive project and I was just able to work on a few small parts of it, which was really cool. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty cool in 20 odd years or whatever to be able to, go somewhere and be like, Hey, I sort of worked on that little station precinct and understand why they did that. And yeah. For sure. Little
2: tours of Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Were you looking at um, major infrastructure projects and going, Oh, there's actually learnings here that I can take back home or is this kind of been a benefit of hindsight?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think the way that such massive projects with so many multiple stakeholders, it, is something that I have found that being home has translated like that, thinking about the way a project can work, building the team that you need for that project. Um, We often talk about, you know, having the right people on the bus and then the right people in the right seat on the bus. And yeah, understand. Yeah, it's been really good for that. I think the project management side of things. I'd love to jump in and
2: and find out. So your family business is...
3: Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know, in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Bank Australia social media channels to learn more.
2: I was, was going to say Little Company, but it's, it's a company called Little Big Dairies. So, yeah, yeah I, I guess, can you just start off? Um, firstly where where did the name come from but what is the business
0: today yeah cool so yeah we have the little big dairy which is one part of our family business uh, we're based out in Dubbo um, in central New South Wales and where my brother's sixth generation dairy farmer and we in 2012 um, my sister came home from uni wanted to be involved in the family business didn't really want to milk cows. Uh, and came up with my parents with this business plan of building a factory on our farm and bottling our own milk, um, which is how we got the Little Big Dairy Company. Um, and yeah, the name for that sort of came from in our family and sort of from grandparents and stuff is if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves, which is kind of the ethos of the way that we farm and now the way that we um, do business in manufacturing and logistics.
2: And so simply As simple as that, your sister managed to convince your parents and build a a bottling facility,
0: and it is the it is today. Yeah, it sounds kind of simple, but um, (laughs) we were sort of at that period of the start of the milk wars and dollar a litre milk. Um, We were sort of in an intermittent period of we'd been out of drought maybe for a couple of years and before we went back in, and it was a bit of a, I guess, let's... Do it and ensure that we can keep farming for generations to come, or not do it and potentially, you know, not n- not be able to farm into the future. Um, I think my parents sort of saw the writing on the wall that a, a lot of people did around that time with dairy, which is why there has been such a mass exodus out of the industry. Um, and yeah, we were really lucky to be in a position to be able to make it happen and we worked with some amazing people and um yeah the community really embraced it and now we're producing and bottling about one hundred and ten thousand liters of milk a week and get sold in sydney and canberra and newcastle and up the north coast and stuff so yeah it's pretty cool
2: and it's slightly more advanced today than what it was at the beginning it was literally um a hand (laughs) supply chain whether it was the actual bottling bottling process or even hand delivered into the Cafes locally is where it'll start yeah. it all started. Is that
0: right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it was, um, yeah, my mum and sister and sister-in-law, myself, brother-in-law, dad. They all sort of built the factory. Didn't really know what we were doing. Turned an old dairy shed into the factory. Got a pasteurizer and homogenizer and separator from New Zealand, and um, yeah, literally just started off doing thousand liters at a time, hand filling screwing the caps on by hand, putting the label on by hand, packing the boxes by hand. We had one little two-pallet truck and, yeah, had a handful of cafes and one IGA um, in town. And, yeah, but pretty pretty quickly we, from starting, we grew um, into having a couple of trucks and sort of got out to Orange and Bathurst and, yeah, it was, as I said, the community was, Got, really got behind us um spent a lot of weekends during uni meeting the truck and doing uh farmers markets around the place um which was pretty interesting but yeah so no but we've, we've been pretty lucky to grow to the size that we we have
2: and in, really in like a relatively short period of time too because i think if yeah. you if you look at kind of what's happened over that time too you guys are, are setting up a vertically integrated dairy business you you particularly like Central West New South Wales with some of the most hardest hit areas um, during the most recent drought. Like, yeah, you you weren't at you obviously weren't at home and in the business the whole time, but were you still involved in the conversations and what was actually happening?
0: To a certain extent, yeah, I would come home as much as possible during uni, and then when working, um, and we've always had a pretty open dialogue as a family of what's happening and how the business is faring and what any strategic decisions that are happening. And, you know, probably mum and dad were always making those decisions, but always making us feel like we were involved in that conversation, which was really good. So yeah, not necessarily having much input, but always knowing on what was going on here. Yeah.
2: And, and so for you, like your sister comes home, she's had the input, come up with the idea you've converted, um converted the old milking barn dairy yeah. into a factory. Um yeah. from there, like how how the business grow and eventuate? Like, was it very incremental, or did you guys nearly one day have the wake up to this demand increase?
0: It's sort of a bit of an exponential growth. It was smaller at the start and then it snowballed. Um in sort of after we'd been bottling for less than a year, my sister's husband, who was a builder by trade, came and worked and he's sort of just one of those guys who has a really business brain um and worked really hard to get the he was really good at coming up with strategic sales plans and all that sort of thing so he and my sister worked really well to get it to the point that it was at um took a few risks and yeah not afraid to ring and email people until they get a response and until they give it a go. But what I think it's a really, the product's a really easy sell. We sort of use this term single source that it all comes from our farm. We can ensure the integrity and the traceability of the milk. Um, And it actually, we've had some scientific, this scientist guy do some blind tastings and testing on it. And it's like ranked really, really well for baristas and with coffee cut through and it can sort of hide a not amazing coffee bean and, yeah so it's it, it was a, a lot of work but we we have a product that we yeah can stand behind really proudly and sort of almost sells itself once you try it
2: well and, and with six dollar coffees becoming the norm around the place i tell you um yeah. maybe they will be cutting a few corners with the beans they buy <laughs> and just topping it up with better quality
0: milk <laughs> yeah well like i i'm one of those people who drink i've kind got of a good coffee machine and i know i'm not very good at it but i can make an all right flat white and i'm I like to think that it's the milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I want to just touch on
2: a little bit more about kind of your journey back into the business. Um, and, and then I think it'd be really cool to, because you guys have some really ambitious goals. So then diving back yeah. into, I guess, the deeper parts of um, Little Big Dairy. But for you, though, you, you always had this interest in coming home, didn't you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I was always sort of a little bit inspired, I guess, by my sister and was forever formulating potential business plans or ideas that would enable me to come back into the family business without having to be a full-time dairy farmer and without having to you know work for my sister essentially I guess. Yeah I was sort of pretty content working um, in the city and probably thought I had a, a couple more years ahead but we had a loss in the family at the end of last year which sort of fast-tracked plans to come home. Um, But in a way, it sort of has been really good timing because of, yeah, these sort of big projects that we've decided now's a good time to undertake. Your
2: career in urban planning, you're working for a big multi multinational business. Did you have assumptions coming back into the family business of, oh, I've lived this fast-paced life, like projects just going flat out. I'm just going back, just back into the family dairy. What was that transition back in like?
0: it was probably almost the opposite to that. I had an expectation that, not an expectation, but just thought, you know, I'm used to this fast pace working with people from across time zones and whatnot that, you know, a pretty high level of professionalism. And I sort of got here and was like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Let's go, go, go. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's a little bit slower than that. It's a little bit smaller than that. Um, So that was, was the biggest sort of, but that was more on me than on the, on the family. Yeah.
2: Was your, so you're the business development manager, was your role in the business really obvious from where you came in or did it kind of take a bit of milk a few cows here and settle in and
0: find my feet? Yeah. So it was pretty obvious sort of even last year, halfway through last year, we were having conversations about whether I did come home in that sustainable business development space, which sort of didn't eventuate with, COVID lockdowns and everything that happens in the world. So um, yeah, it was a pretty easy role to come into and um, yeah, but yeah, definitely still been jumping in the dairy and feeding calves and jumping in the tractor occasionally. So there's always something to do, Um, but yeah, that main role around business development and sustainability.
2: And so on that sustainability lens, business development, where is the Little Big Dairy heading and what are some of those goals?
0: Yeah, so we are working towards becoming sort of the first commercial circular dairy farm in Australia, um, which to us sort of just comes under this banner of cows, community and conservation of being really considered in the way that we use our inputs, the way that we produce, the way that we farm um, and constantly sort of looking to reduce from the farm side looking to reduce sort of um you know nitrogen based fertilizers power plastic wrap all that sort of stuff and then within the little big side of things um the type of packaging that we're using the type of manufacturing that we're doing um and yeah recycling and reusing as much much water and whatnot that we can
2: in ag there's Well, there's so much happening in the sustainability space. We've got these net zero targets. But in terms of, for you guys, this idea of circularity is kind of something which has been talked about a little bit over a few years. But in essence, that's where like the heart of true sustainability sits, isn't it? Where a waste product's actually a value add or an input into something else.
0: Yeah, I think so, definitely. And it was a for us, and especially in the first instance, it is really the circularity stuff is it's about wrapping what we already do in a sort of marketable phrase. And I think you you would see it to be a landowner in Australia at the moment, you have to be considered, you have to be being smart and best practice is that it is being, um, yeah, considerate and it is sort of being circular. So I guess we're just, we've just sort of, looked at what we were doing, looked at what we want to be doing and, and found this, that, yeah, we are circular and we can be even more circular. So. Cause you guys
2: are dealing directly with the consumer as well. Do you feel a greater level of pressure um, or scrutiny coming off the back of that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of our, our brand is personable. So it is, we've sort of got to be able to stand behind it. Um, in a way that a foreign owned company doesn't have to and and can't. Um, And I think since starting Little Big, a massive part of what we've wanted to do is sort of educate the consumer. Um, You know, why should I pay more for your milk than just your cheap home brand? Educating the consumer about ag and about why you need better investment in ag and why you should support local and that sort of thing so this circular messaging it's something we want to do as a part of that education piece with the consumer um because i think that generally speaking for for ag and for livestock there can be sort of a you know point finger pointing of you're like bad for the climate or know sort of degradation that sort of thing and it's like you need to get ahead of that and educate and be like actually look these are the things that we are doing and these are the things that we can show you we're doing and we can talk to you about them um in a way that yeah a synthetic milk might not be able to talk to yeah yeah what they're doing
2: and i think it's it's really cool seeing you guys be able to do that through the brand and and your personalities, on it. and I know from our previous chats, it's something um, which, do, like, it, it just doesn't feel natural when it's you putting yourself out there to all these people. But I think um, where it is really cool looking from the outside in is that, well, actually, we feel like we know Cam and we feel like we know your sister and your mum. And, like, yeah, I, I think it's actually got so much power in terms of exactly as you're saying there around the education, but it's education from a face that I can trust. It it was a huge like point which I had with humans of Ag and was like, oh no, I just want all our guests and things to be the face of it. But if you look at the brands that you have real trust with, that you feel like you have real connection with, it'll be with someone who you've never met, but you feel like you know them because yeah, their definitely. brand is just it's really easy to understand what their brand is. So yeah. No, nah, just go and do it. No, Good no, luck with that. Right. <laughs> but I want to um I've got a couple other questions for you, which we ask everyone, but at this stage, like, is there anything that you want to talk about or areas that maybe we haven't talked about that you yet want to have a yarn about?
0: I guess it'd be worth sort of noting just like, it took me a long time to get to where I am. Um, like I had my 10 year reunion for school the other weekend and it sort of, it's taken me till now to to have my feet planted firmly and sort of be like, yeah, this is definitely it. And, Um, I definitely wavered with where I was going and how I was getting there, but I am really glad that I took the time um, and experienced different things and tried to get as much experience and learn as much as I could, not necessarily in the industry that I'm working in now, but all the experience that I've had and all the different people that I've met and conversations that I've had in whatever industry it may be, have like led me to be able to confidently sort of sit here and talk to you about what my family does and what our intentions are, Um, which I think is, yeah, not to my own horde, but a big part of like the value that I feel I bring to the family in a business sense, but also in a family sense is that, yeah, I have these experiences that aren't rooted in ag and aren't rooted in the farm um, and can almost sometimes rationalize or be a voice of reason um within within a business and within the family which i know i really appreciate about my relationship with the family Oh well, mate it's
2: huge and i reckon it goes back though to like our earlier like what we we're chatting about earlier around its perspective and things and it's yeah because you've gone and got experiences and it's the piece of that's completely like invaluable but so valuable that um to any business so if you can have people that have got different lived experiences and you've got different backgrounds and and if they're actually in a position where they care about what you're doing it's yeah. it's huge
0: yeah definitely and i definitely. i think it's cool
2: that's a it's a really cool part because i think our audience a huge portion of our audience is actually younger in terms of between 70 percent like are between the a or are under the age of 35 so yeah, cool. um, like and, and 65% of them are female, which is oh, wow. really like interesting and unique. But I think it also starts to show where agriculture is going, like yeah. the interest and um, opportunities in ag are unlike there have been previously. So for you, if you get the chance to go back to high school and chat to year 10 students, I think you've got this, a, a life's worth of experiences already kind of 10 years out from school. But if you had the chance to go and chat to year 10 students about the importance of agriculture and careers in agriculture, what would be some of your advice to them?
0: Well, I know what I probably would have liked here is that what I kind of just spoke about, you know, go out and do whatever you want and get experience and don't feel obliged to be involved in ag if you grew up on a farm. Um, But also that, yeah, ag is sort of the lifeblood of Australia and there are amazing opportunities and they're just getting more, more so with tech and with sort of the um, approach to sustainability and climate. Yeah, there's so many opportunities and to explore them, they're not, you know, they're not just your your beef farmer that you might've done with ag, with school, going to Sydney show or whatever, like it's parts of agriculture that are super interesting. And, you know, it's not, it's not, boring i guess i probably had that perception when i was 17 18 you know that it was a little bit boring and not really that interesting and that's just not the case at all
2: so i want to swing a question onto you which a previous guest has asked and it's (laughs) yeah (laughs) like we do have such an opportunity in agriculture i think now as we've talked about sustainability um i loved how you talked about it in the the lens of conservation but there is so much opportunity out there for us to be doing things better and yeah I guess we are constantly learning but what what is holding us back as a broader industry from adopting some of these systems or practices or processes or whatever it might be that actually allow us to make better decisions
0: I guess one thing that jumps to mind for that at least for us at the moment is access to staff um, which I know a lot of people are struggling with at the moment and it's Just a matter of not necessarily having boots on the ground to get the everyday done sort of doesn't really enable you to make these big changes. Um, But also it comes from, I guess it goes back to that larger sense of educating the consumer and you're not going to make big changes and big investments if your consumer can't see them um, and doesn't put value on them that will pay for what you need to do. Absolutely. No, I think
2: there's a huge role in reducing the gap. Um, and I think the only way to do that is through increasing the connection between what is happening in the farm management side, but even the food yeah. side and supply chain with the consumer. Because that, unless you're getting that connection and that sharing of knowledge, but the interaction, so people are asking yeah. questions, then you can't get there. And uh,
0: Yeah. A big no, you've is- got to have the buy-in. From the consumer and I'm sure there's a proper stat for it, but you know, 30, 40 years ago, most people in Australia would have had, you know, been once or twice removed from someone who was a farmer. And I imagine that that number has blown out in recent years. And yeah, it's pretty hard to expect someone to, to understand and to have buy-in to made in Australia, grown in Australia if they have never seen it don't understand it and they've ne- never been spoken to about it
2: yeah and don't understand well this is it. this is what happens here in australia yeah this is what happens elsewhere like you you can see kind of black and white very clearly what some of the different practices are and then you yeah, go yeah. oh actually i don't want to buy those lentils from there
0: or whatever it might be yeah yeah totally but it's such a such a hard conversation to have sometimes isn't it yeah you gotta show them <laughs> yeah exactly but like, one other question, and you can answer it with a question. What,
2: what's something you'd like me to ask a future guest?
0: I think probably a little bit similar to the question that you just asked me, but you know, how do we protect our right to farm and continue to build value in Australian ag as the world sort of seemingly moves away from a focus on agriculture? Like, How do we ensure that you know, our voice is heard in decision-making?
2: and it's not a new topic it's like people have been discussing it but i think it's one of those ones where we got to keep bringing it up and and just bringing the different opinions into it as well because yeah there's no silver bullet solution or it would have already happened
0: yeah not at all but i think i don't know i guess that might have been a little bit of a pessimistic question i think australian ag is in a reasonably good space at the moment like definitely the the feeling that you get is a lot different to a couple of years ago when we were in drought um there seems to be a fair bit of optimism and some yeah, great advances happening. So I think it's an exciting space to be in and in a pretty positive space as well. Absolutely. No, it's
1: the place to be, I reckon. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Campbell,
2: thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat. Hopefully it wasn't as daunting as what you thought when you started.
0: No, that was great. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ollie. No, but it's good. Um,
2: and hopefully I'll be out in, uh, in Dubbo. At some stage in the next few months, it'll be awesome to come and check out what you guys yeah, are doing. But in the meantime, definitely, I'll keep an eye on you guys on the supermarket shelf.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, mate. Awesome, mate. We'll chat to you soon. Sounds good.
1: As always, thank you for tuning in to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. And don't forget that we've got that job going at the moment. So if you know someone, or you are that someone, who's keen on a content marketing community specialist role head over to humansofagriculture.com and check it out look after yourselves stay safe stay sane we can't wait to join you again next week cheers